Welcome to Why Not Me, the World podcast, hosted by Tony Mantor. Broadcasting from Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee. Join us as our guests tell us their stories. Some will make you laugh, some will make you cry. Real life people who will inspire and show that you are not alone in this world. Hopefully, you gain more awareness, acceptance, and a better understanding for autism around the world. Hi, I'm Tony Mantor. Welcome to Why Not Me the World. Today's guest is Susan Morantes. She has an autistic son and works at the Dan Marino Foundation. So she has a great story to tell us. Thanks for coming on, Susan. Oh, you're quite welcome. So what age was it that your son was diagnosed autistic? Uh, well, he, my son was actually diagnosed uh, when he was probably between two and three with a severe language delay. And then uh, he wasn't like really diagnosed with autism until he was four when he saw a neurologist. What was he going through that made you realize that something wasn't quite right and you had to find out and get a diagnosis? Well, I mean, it was, uh, in the beginning, it was just the delay in language. He had uh, some words, but not a lot. Uh, He had been at the time, he was with a babysitter that only spoke Spanish. So the pediatrician was thinking that that was maybe the reason that his language was delayed. But then it soon became uh, pretty clear that he really wasn't picking up the language like he did. Uh, At the time, I didn't know the other symptoms of autism. I didn't even really know what it was. So uh, looking back, I see other things that maybe were there, you know, lining up toys, not really engaging with another child, more parallel play. Uh, But at the time, it was the language delay that was the concern. Okay. And how old is he now? He's now 33. Did he have any other things other than just language that was a concern for you? Yes. I I think, yeah, it was pretty much, you know, diagnosed it was an intellectual disability or, uh, you know, some other kind of developmental disability. Like I said, you know, he was really diagnosed originally with language delay uh, and then it became more... So the only thing that was relevant in my mind at that point was Rain Man when he was diagnosed, because that's the only reference I had. Sure. I've talked with several people that pretty much said the same thing as you. That was what was in their minds. But now people found out there's so much more than that. Right. Right. And well, because they really, there was no other thing out there about it. We didn't. Now you see more shows with, with children and adults with autism, but that was not something that was happening at that point. So what went through your mind? That's a lot to cope with when you are new to something, not knowing what it is. I'm sure that there was a lot of things that you had to think about. Well, I I was very upset uh, because I really didn't know anybody else that had a child with autism. And uh, so it was tears and then it was, okay, well, what are we going to do? I mean, at that point, he was already in a special needs preschool, but it really wasn't meeting his needs because it was just a large variety of children with different disabilities, some physical, some intellectual. Uh, so there really wasn't services that were specific to him at that point. That makes it real tough. So you sat down and thought about different things, I'm sure. What was your next step? Well, it, it just happened at the time uh, that 
a coworker had read that the that Dan Marino's son had autism. And uh, you know, we were like, oh, okay, well then that brings some light to the subject. But there, we really still didn't have a lot of information. And uh we were fortunate enough, my husband was fortunate enough to be able to meet Dan and uh from there on, uh, him and his wife, Claire, were great. I mean, they told us basically what we needed to do, which entailed us moving from Miami, where we basically have lived our whole lives, up to Broward County, where there was a preschool called the Bowdoin Oral School that was specific to the needs of children with autism. And, uh, you know, we did that, and we, that made all the difference in how my son Sean was doing. Well, that's great to hear, but having to move, any move is a pretty big move, especially when you're going to a new area. No, I mean, it's not that it's a long way away, but, uh, you know, a lot of our support system was in Miami. I mean, you're talking, you know, on a good day, 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, just having been lived there, you know, basically our whole lives, it was difficult to uproot and go. And my daughter at the time was, was 12, and uh, it was very difficult for her because she'd grown up with a whole group of family and friends that were there. They all went to the same school. You know, she had her group of friends. So it was very difficult for her to move into a whole new environment. But she did it. That's great because moving, especially for a kid, is just so very tough. Uh, yes, it was. I mean, it's always going to be a struggle. You always have to advocate for your child. Uh, the preschool was amazing, but he was only eligible to be there one year. So then he went on to the uh, typical public school programs. But at the time, they were starting to get a little bit more number-wise. Uh, we still had to drive you know, probably a good 20, 25 minutes in the morning to get him to the school that had what they called at the time an autism cluster program that was specific for children with autism. Now, almost every school has a program for children with autism. So it, you know, goes to the fact that the amount of children being diagnosed has gone up substantially. It sure has. So what age was he during this transition? He was four. How did he handle the changes at that point in time? Uh, I mean, he did well. Uh, he started going out probably in about third grade to like he'd go to music classes or he'd go to PE where he was mainstreamed with the typical population. And, uh, you know, elementary school, that wasn't bad. Uh, you know, sometimes it though depended. We had a principal change in fourth grade and that just changed the whole uh, attitude of the school where the principal before was definitely more interested in engaging, engaging uh, children with autism, being more inclusive to a principal that was not, you know, so they were stuffed in the back in the, you know, the, the trailer. So it really wasn't uh, an ideal situation, but at that point he was getting ready to graduate and go into middle school, which was great. The first couple years, because he had a, uh, well, really the first year he had a shadow, but she let him be very independent. So he was going to all the, you know, basically all mainstream classes. He had a couple that were still in the self-contained, but for the most part, he was, you know, making his way around the school, making some friends. Uh, but then the second year, he had a different uh, shadow and while she was great, she just became his only contact. He dropped a pencil. She'd pick it up. She ate lunch with him. I mean, she was with him all the time. So we saw that he was, even though he was mainstream, he was becoming less independent. 
Wow. So what did you do to change and turn that around? So we looked for a private school, uh, which we did find one where he completed high school. And, uh, you know, it was okay. It was, he had friends there. Um, it was very small, but, you know, at the same time, instead of going, being one-on-one, even though he was in a bigger school, he went more into being like a typical classroom of 15 or 16 students. So it wasn't that he was so isolated. Although all of the students had, you know, some kind of, of special need or challenge. Uh, you know, and then at the end of his schooling, I guess he did a, well, for for secondary anyway, he did a program called Project Search that was at the zoo in Miami. So that had us move back to Miami uh, for a period of time. Uh, And he did that program, which was great, but he, you know, it didn't come out with a job at the end. So at that point we had made, I was still working in Broward County. I, you know, we made the decision to move back to Broward. And that at the same time was when, you know, the, the, the Amarino Foundation had started doing more of the employment program. So he had been in all those. And then he actually did graduate from Marino campus. And he's now working. Uh, you know, he's been working. Well, that's great. So is the speech issue taken care of completely? Oh, yes. 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 He, uh, I, you know, he's totally verbal now. There's there's no incidence of any delay. Uh, you know, still has a real tough time with social aspects. Uh, you know, would prefer to just be at home, be in his room, you know, uh, but we have to push him to come out. So if you push him out, does he get out and do some things and socialize? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he still, he participates with programs that the foundation runs. Uh, you know, he does have one friend that he's had since preschool and they'll go out and do things at some times. But unfortunately, the majority of time is, you know, spent with us in the family home. Uh, you know, before COVID, he had moved into an independent living community in Lakeland, uh, which was great for almost a year. And that certainly did make him much more independent. Uh, But then COVID hit and they were having all kinds of issues. My husband had some health issues. I knew that if I left him there, that I might not be able to go get him if he got sick. And so we made the decision to come back with the hopes that this would all be done in a few weeks. And obviously that's not what happened. So at this point, and then he got a job down here. So at this point, he's still in the same situation living at, at our house. Well, we all thought that situation wasn't going to last as long as it did. So where's his sister in all this now? Is she still local? His sister lives in Denver, Colorado with her husband. And um, I mean, that relationship's not great. Uh, They don't, you know, they see each other several times during the year, but uh, they tend to get on each other's uh, But, you know, we've had the discussion too that as, as his dad and I get older, that that's who he's going to really need to rely on. So we're right now trying to figure out what that all looks like. Uh, you know, are we looking in a few years at all of us moving to Colorado to set him up there? Uh, there's a housing development similar to the one he was in being being built in Miami that hopefully will be ready in the next couple of years. Is that maybe where he's at? Um, or is there something else that we haven't quite discovered as of yet? Well, time has a way of showing you what is needed and how it's going to go. So how is the dynamic between the two of them and do they get along okay? Well, I mean, I would say probably it was a little better when they were younger. She was the older sister. He was the baby. Uh, so now it's just been a little bit 
you know, they text every now and then. Um, you know, when we go on, we we had been on a couple of vacations over the summer together with them, and um, they interact then. But again, sometimes it's it's more um, adversarial than it is. Uh, you know, uh, but it's it's almost like the sibling kind of typical relationship that you have. But she's always that, and she's not wrong, and that he should be doing more than he's doing, and. Uh, that's that's the truth, but just haven't quite figured out what that looks like yet. Well, it just takes time to make things work properly the way you hope they will. What's his day-to-day schedule look like? Is he working now? And if he is, does he like what he's doing? Well, I mean, he's not crazy about the job that he's at, but, uh, you know, it's a good job and, and they work well with him there and he works well there. Uh so, you know, but when he says, well, maybe I want to do something else, I said, well, then you need to work at that. You need to look. You have to figure out what it is that you want to do. And uh, he hasn't really, you know, taken that step. And, uh, and you know, and again, this he, where he's at is, is really great. And so it, it's hard to say, well, okay, well, try something else that might not work. And he's been there now over two years. So... It's tough to leave a job that treats you right, especially when you don't know what you're going to get yourself into. What uh, What are some of his likes and dislikes in his younger years? Um, his is more, you know, probably, again, you know, it's the social, but it's also uh, becomes a little bit obsessive, compulsive about things. Uh, so, you know, it just depends when he was younger, it was Star Wars, like everything was Star Wars. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, yeah, baby, baby, it was dinosaurs. Uh you know, and now, you know, it's politics and history, which, um, you know, tends to cause him angst depending on what's going on. So I guess it does to all of us. <laughs> Not unusual. I've had people tell me that their kids get very focused and will not give up on anything until they know everything there is to know about it and have done so much intense research. Is your son focused like that? He is. I mean, he. I, I always tell him you could probably win at Jeopardy, particularly if they had a lot of history, geography, uh, because he just knows everything about that. And I'm like, how do you know all this stuff? And he goes, oh, well, I research and I read. And he does. Uh, but I'm like, how can you, like, there's sometimes he'll forget to do something very typical, you know, like, oh, I forgot to brush my teeth. But then he can remember every president and vice president when they were president, <laughs> you know, but um, doesn't, the, the the stuff that people generally do every day is not always his strong suit. Sure. So I've also been told that a lot of autistic people are very literal in their thinking. So how is his thought process differ from others around him in the family? Uh, I think, you know, to a respect, I mean, if he has a viewpoint on something, it's very difficult to change that viewpoint. Uh, and so, you know, that's one thing. I mean, he 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 does and understand some inferences and that kind of thing. So... Not so much, not really something that I see as much with him. Okay. I've also been told that a lot of autistic children can be very unfiltered. And even though that's good in life to say what's on your mind, sometimes it can put us in unique situations that aren't so good. So how is he on his thought process as being filtered or unfiltered? 
he that does happen, but we've worked really hard on that because we know, especially these days, that you know you insult somebody or you say something, even though you don't mean it in a harsh way, people aren't always going to take it that way. So, uh, you know, I mean, when he was a little guy, you know, he'd say something like, "Oh, that lady is so fat," or something like that, and we really worked hard on that. You cannot say that. That's not. First of all, it's not nice, and secondly, you know you you say stuff that you think is okay and it's not some other people take exception to. And, you know, unfortunately that can work out bad for everybody. It can, but it sounds like you've done a good job with them there and that doesn't seem to be an issue at all. How about friends? Does he have any lifelong friends or new friends? What's his social life look like? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll you know, I'd say not, not real often, you know, once a month or so that, you know that that Andrew will come over and they'll they'll do Legos or play video games or um, neither one's a big talker, so that's kind of their thing is they're doing stuff while they're there. Um, you know they they sometimes will go to Dave and Buster or a movie, uh, but you know not as frequent as I would like to see that happen. Uh, and the like you said with the foundation, uh, we are working now on uh, programming for our alumni. And uh, really trying to schedule a lot of different activities that it, that um, you know, would interest people in different things. And so uh, he just signed up for that. Uh, it gets a little bit difficult to do anything during the day because of his work, but uh, we are doing things in the evening. So like he's looking forward to the Halloween you know, party that we'll be having here at the end of the month. And, uh, you know, there's other things that will be coming up that I know that will be of interest to him. That's really great. The more that he can get out and do things, the more social he becomes. Hopefully that will help him a lot. What are some of the things that he really likes to do? Uh, I mean, geography is big. He likes to read about all different countries and he seems to know where everything's located. Uh, He's a little bit of a foodie. So before when he was younger, he really kind of what we would say he'd only eat beige food. (laughs) So it was like, you know, very specific foods. Uh, we had done a trip back in, I think it was 2013, uh, to, it was a Mediterranean cruise. And we we're like, listen, you got to learn to eat other stuff. And for some reason, that really opened his eyes or palate, I guess. And uh, he started trying new things. And now there's really nothing he's afraid of trying. I mean, he eats stuff that I wouldn't even eat, but so he, uh, you know, is very open to that. So that's always a big interest to him is food in different regions and, uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, politics as well, but we really tried to steer away from that because, again, people don't agree. And uh, if if you want to, like, you know, think on your own what you want to think, but to express those views to others is not always the best case scenario. So true. Sounds to me like the fact that he's doing better with the food is really a plus because I know a lot of people that say that their sons or daughters just won't eat things because of certain textures. So I think that's great. Right. So, you know, the 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 food, you know, learning about different countries, I mean, that's what we really ask that he focused on. Well, by focusing that way, it sure sounds to me like it would make your life and his a little less uncomplicated. Yeah, I mean, he he really is, uh, it made everything easier because before it was like, okay, we'll go to this restaurant. What's it going to eat? Do they have, you know, and now it's like, he'll eat anything. So it's, it's fine. (laughs) It's like easy. That's just so good. 
Now, what about clothes? I know that textures of clothes sometimes can cause some issues. Does that bother him at all? Uh, he doesn't. He just prefers to be casual. Uh, you know, he wears long pants to work. I mean, that's, that's what he needs to wear in his job. Uh, but he has def- definite preferences, you know, a t-shirt and shorts. Uh, but, you know, it's not like he has any real kind of aversion, aversion to anything. That's really good. That makes things so much easier in purchasing clothes and you don't have to worry about things. What about housing now? I know you said that he did live in a place that he was by himself. And then because of the pandemic, you brought him back. Do you see him getting back out there and getting into any housing like he had before? Well, that's kind of what we're trying to figure out now. Uh, the the community he was in before, we did see that that was a good situation for him. You know, he was, they had, you know, he was more independent, definitely he had to do a lot of stuff on his own that he doesn't necessarily have to do at home. Uh, and they, they always had activities going, so he'd go to the activities. Still wasn't the most social butterfly, but, you know, it wasn't, he couldn't rely on us, you know, to be that social aspect for him. So now that he's been home, do you think that he'll be ready to get back out there and be independent again? And do you think that he'll be okay? Uh, well, I think, you know, some of that is, is us. It, it, the most difficult thing is just almost like I said, you know, remembering the small stuff. Like you go to work, you know, make sure that you have your wallet, your badge, your phone, you know, and, and, and that's on us too is that we'll say, well, do you have your badge and do you have your phone? Uh, and so I think it's going to be a little bit, you know, it's got to be training to us as well. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, is, is being able to be independent. It's just scary that if we're not here, what happens? Uh, and so, yeah, so that's where uh, I think, you know, and where his sister is, is definitely a big part of that is that, you know, we have to we have to figure that out. So that's what we're trying to do is figure that out. Well, that's a tough thing because everyone that I talk with, that's the thing that's foremost on their mind is what happens to their child if they're not around. So do you think where he's lived in a community before that there are communities around your area now that he can move into, adapt, and then find a way to move forward? I I think that, you know, when he was living in Lakeland, that that did give me some hope that that was true. Uh, You know, unfortunately, these communities are really hard. It's hard to sustain it. And so uh, we're you know, looking at, okay, well, do we try to find something in Colorado or are we looking at this place in Miami? Because we do still have, you know, my my niece and my grandnieces live here. So we do have, uh, you know, younger family members and also some friends that, that live nearby that if that was the um, outcome that we would hope that he would be there. But also, I mean, I think that, that this particular community is doing things a little bit smarter and realizing that that's what 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 parents and, and the individuals themselves are looking at, that this is where they're going to be. Uh, I mean, obviously, the more comfort level is having him closer to his sister. But if there's not a situation there that's going to be beneficial, then, you know, it might just be this this situation but again it's just stuff we're trying to figure out and i know that every parent looks at that because it's hard you don't know that's so true because you just don't know whether to 
to keep him the way it's going, or if you do move him into an apartment or whatever, then you have to be kind of concerned on what his daily routines are going to be so that he doesn't fall into this rut where he doesn't expand at all. So it is very, very tough for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's that's been where it's a little bit hard for me because I, um, you know, that's the thing. I know that he can, if I put him in an apartment, he could more than likely live independently in his apartment. He could figure out how to get to work and back, uh, but that's not all he do. And, uh, you know, so I really likely need that situation where there's other engagement. And, you know, you go live in an apartment. That's not the case, typically. Uh, you know, I was by my husband's aunt is living in Century Village, which is like a 55, but they're really set up that, okay, well, you know, they're here. And then if they need more care, that's there, you know, really until the end of their life. And I said, I said to Rafi, my husband, I was like, oh, maybe we should get Sean a condo. <laughs> but he can't until he's 55. And at that point, we definitely aren't going to be in the picture. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. It is. I talk with a lot of different people. And there's one person here in Nashville that I know. She runs a charity called Our Place Nashville. What she does is, is work with autistic people and special needs, trying to get them housing so that they can have that little community of themselves. And it is very, very tough to make that next step and move forward not knowing what the outcome will be. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, really our focus is trying to figure out what that next step is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I I don't mind having him at home. I mean, uh, there's a comfort level there knowing that he's okay and, uh, you know, that that we can make sure that he's got what he needs. But at the same point, realistically, we know that we're, we, you know, we're not going to be there. So we've got to figure out what it is. So it's hard. Uh, you know, you look at other friends and they're, you know, traveling and doing stuff and, and not that we can't do that, but, you know, most of the time we got to figure out, okay, well, can he come with us? Can he not come with us? You know, it, it, it does, it does change the kind of empty nest versus not empty nest and not knowing when that will be, uh, or if it will be, uh, that's, that's a hard, hard, but it's a different outlook. It is because as a parent, you always want your kids to grow up and grow out. But in your situation, you always have to worry about where he is, what's going on, is he okay? There's a lot more dynamic there than what the average person has to deal with. So it can be very tough for you. I can surely understand that. Well, yeah, I mean, when, uh, not so much at home, but when he was in, in Lakeland, uh, when he was at the community, I mean, and it was, it was silly, but it was a Halloween, he was going to a Halloween party and, uh, you know, he always has his phone with him and I, I, he left his phone in his room. Right. So it's like, I'm calling and calling and calling and calling. And I, you know, we had like the little wife, whatever at 360 and it wasn't moving and, and I could find, you know, I had no idea where he was. And I called his, his roommate's guardian and the whole thing. And she's like, well, I'm not there, but if you don't hear from, let me know, I'll go over, you know, I, she goes, I'm going to call some people and see if they see him. And finally, before that all happened, he, he then he called back and he goes, oh, I was at the, you know, the hayride and at the party and I just forgot my phone. So that, and that's the only time I really remember being 
panic. I did it a lot with my daughter in college. It just became a thing. (laughs) You know, with him, um, it was a different scenario. Sure. And totally understandable. You worry because you want the best for him. And every time that some little thing goes wrong, sometimes as human nature has, we think the worst. So now that you've gone through everything that you've gone through, you've adapted, grown, he's grown, you're learning your new steps. What would you tell people that are just starting out what to expect, how to deal with it, and what, to, what they can do to help themselves and help their child? Well, I think uh, for new parents, it's definitely, uh, you know, talking to other parents and support groups and organizations that help uh, people with children with autism to figure out what those resources are that you need to do. Because you don't always, that's not always evident. If you go to a pediatrician, neurologist, they might hand you a bunch of stuff and say, here you are. So I think that that's important. As the child ages into adulthood, then you really need to know all of the things that he needs, he or she needs at 18. You know, what guardianship, um, you know, what kind of the the med waiver supports, all of those things. um, You need to learn those resources uh you know and then as they become adults you you really um i mean it's really the smart thing to get with an attorney and make sure that everything's set up so that if you are not around my husband's not around um to make sure that at least financially wise that you're in a good spot um you know the other stuff again still trying to figure it out like where is he going to live what's he going to do uh it's so it's kind of that progression, uh, but not always what is the, um, I guess, the end of the rainbow kind of thing look like. I, yeah. Well, those are good things to do for sure, because everyone is different and every situation is different. So they have to take and plan and make sure that they've got everything under control. So that way, if something does happen, they can at least feel good that they've planned well and supported what they needed to do to take care of their children. Yeah. I know you see it a lot because, I, I, and everybody says this, but when you meet a person with autism, you met one person with autism because everything is different uh, for each person. Even though you think you're like, I would say, oh, yeah, you kind of like Sean, but then there's things that are different. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but can make life difficult, you know, when you're trying to help someone that's got a lot of different needs or things that you really don't know what to do with. Absolutely. That's the most difficult part of being a parent for an autistic child is trying to figure out everything they need and what their needs will be. It's just a never-ending process. So I really have to say this has been a great discussion. You've given a lot of great information, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to my podcast. Oh, well, thank you, Tony. I do appreciate it as well. It's the more information people have, the better. Absolutely. I totally agree. And once again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our show today. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. If you know anyone that would like to tell us their story, 
send them to TonyMantor.com, contact, then they can give us their information so one day they may be a guest on our show. One more thing we ask, tell everyone everywhere about Why Not Me, The World, the conversations we're having, and the inspiration our guests give to everyone everywhere that you are not alone in this world. 